Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's happening, man? What is going on? Hey, hey, hey. Not too much, man. It's uh, uh, been getting out a little bit. The, the weather's turning beautiful in New Orleans. Uh, I got my, I'm halfway through my vaccination protocol. I was out uh, look, going to some art openings this weekend. Actually went to an art opening by our former guest, uh, the, the great Gina Phillips, the uh, textile artist. So I was down really? there at Jonathan Fer- Ferrara Gallery on uh, on Julia Street. Yes, she had a had an opening. It was a. It was a Were there lots show. of people there? Um. Well, it wasn't overcrowded. You know, there were everybody's wearing masks and uh, keeping their distance. And you know, it's like uh, like a lot of uh, openings these days. It's it's not shoulder to shoulder, but they had you know it was open. It was there going on for several hours, and uh, yeah, there was a good crowd filing in and out and uh yeah amazing show everybody should go check that out at uh jonathan ferrara i don't remember this person what's her name again gina phillips she was uh, was on our show yeah 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 she's uh she's a uh uh, a painter she's a trained painter but she does a lot of uh like sewn like textile art she uses a uh a uh, long arm uh, sewing machine that she uh, she does all this stitching. So it's, it's quite fascinating. And but so this time she had had some of that uh, stitched work, but then she also had a lot of uh, sculpture. Had some some wood pieces and. Uh, so uh, so she, since you got the shot, you feel more confident about going out. Well, no, no. It's it's not that I feel like I'm protected. I'm still you know using all, all the the. Uh, you know, appropriate safeguards that I've been using the whole time, but it definitely feels like we're getting, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm in a better place than I was before that, you know, even though I don't have 100%, uh, you know, uh, vaccination, you know, uh, potential, certainly my, just, just having that first dose, my immune system, uh, started reacting to it. You know, I, I don't know what statistically that does for me, but certainly it's not a, completely novel uh virus for my body anymore you know it's so yeah and you know it's funny running into all kind of people that i hadn't seen uh in some time you talk to more people a lot of people have had that first dose and are waiting on the second one it really feels like the tide is turning manny all right well good luck with that i uh i I know i know the city has opened up even more and even uh, music venues are going to start opening up. Is the, and, uh, have you have any gigs booked now? Um, I, I do have a gig booked uh, at another outdoor venue. Um, well, actually, I have one with Susan Cowsill at uh, the uh, Fawberg Brewing. There used to former Dixie Brewing uh, facility that's out outdoors on Sunday, and then I have another one on Friday, um, taping a. Uh, a uh, musical Seder uh, service tomorrow outdoors, but uh, yeah, what is that? I, I did what, see a musical Seder. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, who's I, that with? Too, well, who's uh, that's that with? A, uh, it's it's for my synagogue. It's with a uh, a group of musicians that they put together 
um, every year if if we can do it. You know, certain certain years we can't do a uh, a musical. You know, it's Passover. You have the first night of Passover. You do a seder, and then second night, my traditionally my synagogue has put on a musical seder, and it's a big event. So this year they're doing it virtually, and they're going to tape the band playing through all of this, uh, you know, Passover music that, that goes along with the, with the, uh, the meal. So we're doing that tomorrow. Well, you no, know, because I, uh, I, uh, you know, I watch the news all the time and cause I don't go out, uh, at all because, um, I don't like to go out. Um, right. but, um, I saw that they were going to start opening more music venues and, and t- our tonight's, uh, tonight's guest is a, is a musician. And, um, mm-hmm. and I saw, uh, they, uh, they, interviewed some musicians on this uh channel and some of them were happy and uh there was one musician um john booty is that his name john booty Boutte. Boutte, yes, john yes. okay john yes. Boutte. well it looks like booty uh, anyway uh huh. he's not he says i'm not going out there he said i okay. no way i'm going out there there's going to be another another spike in this he guarantees it and you're all stupid to think it's gone away. So that was that's what John Boutte said. Um, okay, now, well, I don't know much about him. I, I saw him sing at uh, at a wedding once, and he was really mm-hmm. good. Um, he's a terrific singer. Yep. Yeah, he was really good, but he demanded cab fare home. He said, "Give me cab okay. fare home," you know. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> well, so they. They took it out of the donation box at the church and gave him cab fare home. Yeah. All right, there you go, man. Yeah. Who knows what he's he a good guy. Oh, I, yeah. He is. He is. I know what I was. What I was going to say is yes. I saw the uh, the guidelines that came out for for some of these indoor uh, gigs that the city put out, and they said yes, uh, you can have horn players, but they have to be nine feet away from everybody else. I thought nine feet, Jesus. And I was thinking about our, our guest, you know, our guest tonight, he has, a uh, has the, uh, the uptown jazz orchestra. It's a, it's a large band, big band. I was thinking, man, uh, to have, it's, it's mostly horns. I was thinking that to, to put that band, you'd have to have like the Superdome to have enough space to, uh, <laughs> spread that band out with nine feet between everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know how they're going to do it. I, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, affect me at all because i don't go out or anything like that so i don't right. really care for music anymore you know i'm not really into sure. music anymore so like uh, most people these days yeah i don't really yeah. but uh, you know uh i noticed that the state of texas has lifted everything they're like we're open for right. business you know we're not gonna yep. uh, do anything uh you know we're 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 where Texas, everything's bigger in Texas. You know, they said uh, the, <laughs> the mask their COVID numbers, right? Yeah, including their COVID numbers, and uh, but they said we're lifting the mask. Nobody even has to wear masks anymore. And, Crazy. Uh, and yeah, they lifted all the. The catch is though, I don't think they reported this in the news because you know their governor is like some. Uh, he's some freak. He's, he's like in a wheelchair, isn't he, or something like that? He's kind of a crazy. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think can't keep a, it straight, really. Yeah, uh, he's in a wheelchair, and and I don't know what's. He's kind of he's kind of crazy, but he uh, yep. he said no one. The mask mandate is over, but the catch is that everyone still has to wear pasties on their nipples. 
That's what okay, they said. Well, yeah. I don't know. Because, but, uh, because authorities, sure and authorities and, and government officials think that uh, if uh, uh, you don't have to wear a mask, but if you have pasties on your nipples, it'll still keep people uh, uh, six feet apart. Because, you know, Texas okay. has some of the fattest and ugliest people in the country. So, <laughs> so they figured if we just say that, you know, you can breathe, you know, not, but you have to wear pasties. And I, I hope it works out for them, you know, because we have Better friends. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, we have friends in Texas. and uh, Right. You know, so I hope it works out for them. It is what it is. And uh, uh, I'm happy that uh, they're doing that as far as I go. But anyway um, – what so? What else has been going on? You you recovered from your hospitalization. Remember, you had a yes. You, were, you had a lung puncture or a blister the on your lung. Collapsed lung. Yes, yes. Well, I did have a follow up with the staff physician. Went in, uh, got a uh, another X ray, and uh, they said, "Well, it's still the lung is still a little bit collapsed, but it's uh, it's so small that they think over time my body will just absorb that uh, that air that has leaked in there and I'll I'll have a complete 100% resolution to it so they said come back in 2 weeks and we'll uh, we'll keep checking on this make sure it's going in the right direction how is your hip doing is your hip okay um because yeah, i remember about I a year ago about a year ago you uh, you wrenched your hip and you you were in pain and I said, well, and you didn't do anything about it. But then I said, you know, it's going to come back to haunt you in a few years. Well, I don't remember okay? that at all, Manny. Yeah, I don't, was, rem- I don't even remember that. Are you sure that's not you? You're, you're the no, one. No, no, the, 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 no. No, no, this the was on the show. It, it was actually our, our last show at the ring room. We talked huh. about it. You were fixing an okay. air conditioning duct and you wrenched your hip. And I said, well, okay. Uh, Huh. You didn't go to the doctor for it because you said uh, you were uh, resilient and it doesn't. Yes. You didn't hurt. And I said it's probably gonna. Right. You'll, you don't feel it now, but in five years from now you'll feel it. But uh, it's only been a yeah, year, you know. so you know maybe you won't. Yeah, feel well, it. if five years, I'll, I'll I'll take that. You know, it's uh, in five years uh, again. If if we're all still still walking, we'll we'll reassess all of our potential uh, hazards. Because, you know, I, I, I said, you know, you don't think about it now, but it comes back. Because, you know, I used to do a lot of physical comedy in my late 20s and 30s, and now I'm paying mm-hmm. for it heavily. Heavily I'm paying for it. So oh, okay. uh, I, I just hope uh, you're all right. You know, with the lung, you know, with the lung, you know, with the lung, because you think it's all right now. So you have to go back, what, every two months and have it checked out? Well, well, just to make sure that, that it's uh, it's 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 healing the way they expect that it's going to you know i told you the previous time i had this was 20 years ago so you know if i have one every 20 years i figure i got one more on the timeline and then i'm done so you know i'll i can i can deal with that you know okay all right whatever you say man. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you say all right let's introduce our guest because he i can okay. i can hear him he's uh, he's there and he's exciting to me Yes, yes, he's a he's a tremendous guest. We're thrilled to have him on. So, okay, this is a a guy I've known most of my life. We 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 went to high school together. Uh, I was a, a student of his father's. He comes from a terrific uh, you know family of musicians here in New Orleans. It's many considered to be the New Orleans' first family of jazz. 
Um, his father was the great Ellis Marcellus, uh, one of the founders of NOCA. Uh, his, uh, his brothers, uh, uh, Branford and Wenton, tremendous jazz artist in their own right. Uh, he's a fantastic trombone player, composer, producer, educator. He leads the Uptown Jazz Orchestra. And uh, he was a uh, National Endowment for the Arts Jazz Masters Award recipient, along with his, his father and his brother. So it's, it's very exciting. So without further ado, Delphio Marcellus. Welcome, Delphio. <laughs> Delphio, welcome. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Glad to be here. Hey, so this, you uh, went to school, went with, to school with Renee? Actually, yeah, we were uh, students at uh, school, Ben Franklin High oh, School. Ben Franklin. Do you remember dentine gum? Of course. How come you can't find dentine anymore? You can't? I'll send Sorry? you some. I found some. I, I, I don't see it anywhere. Do you still have dentine? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You might not be looking at the right places. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm usually, I'll send you some. I'm usually uh, in the uh, adult section of the store, so uh, maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. They still have dentine. <laughs> There's four. Yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah they uh, definitely I didn't do. know that. Yeah, well, we were talking about dentine and certs, too. I think you could probably still find certs, Manny. I'm just, you no, know. No, I don't see certs anywhere. I don't I see certs okay. anywhere. Dent- All right. You'll find dentine before you find certs. Yeah, certs, I think, okay. is history. You know? All right. Certs All right. Well, Okay, well, well, uh, moving on, back to our guest, Delphio Marcellus. Um, so, yes, Delphio, usually, uh, you know, one of the first questions we will ask, you know, being a New Orleans native, uh, we will ask people, well, where'd you go to high school? So I, I know that you went to, to Ben Franklin. Um, right. And, you know, I, I remember one time I was, I was talking to you about Ben Franklin the, the most recent years because our, our daughters actually went to school together in elementary school. And I was saying, well, is your daughter going to go to Franklin? And you said, well, no, I didn't really have a good time there. I only had one or two friends the whole time I was in high school. And uh, I, I thought about that, and I ran into you later in the day, and I said, well, Delphio, you realize I only had one or two friends in high school. That's high school, man. <laughs> so, uh, no, well, you know, I, and I don't know how, how far we want to get into this. You know, the, the whole idea of, of race is kind of popped up in the past eight or nine months in the country, kind of with a plum, by which I'm saying, mm-hmm. you know, for black folk, things have been predicated on race for many years. And you got to realize we were, uh, all, you know, Branford and Wenton, I got to tell you, it was, it's funny. It's the first time I've heard them referred to as being great artists in their own rights. So that was a good one. That was a good call uh, in the introduction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, okay. Well, I don't know. Yeah, that, that was pretty different. That was good though. But you know, uh, we were of the, the generations that, uh, you know, you had the, the first integrated schools in the South were the late 50s, early 60s. Right. So we were 10 years removed from that. And my mother made the decision that we would go to these, quote, integrated schools. And, you know, it's a big sacrifice. And it's something that I hadn't considered throughout most of my life until uh, rather recently, which is within the past decade. And just the reality that, that uh, you know, for... Uh, African-American for a black person to go to schools where there's not lots of black folks around. It is actually a big sacrifice. And yeah. it wasn't until later that I really realized it, you know, and the, the trouble that you have is, is you can never be yourself. It's like, you're always, and I remember, you know, 
Duke Ellington in his book, he talked about he had a third grade teacher. I think it was third grade named Miss Boston. And Miss Boston told Duke Ellington, he said, you should always remember, Edward, that whenever, wherever you are in public, uh, people are going to look at you as a representative for your race. So whatever you're doing, they're going to use you as that model. And that was something that always stu stood out for Duke Ellington. So he made a conscious effort throughout his lifetime. He dressed a certain kind of way and, you know, he would respond to certain things a certain way. But I think that it's maybe not as extreme as it was in Duke's day, but there's still that that kind of a thing that goes on. And again, it's a it's, silent it's thing. A it's a burden to have to to have to carry that. Yeah, I mean, it's a pain, man. It's it, But it's something that you just kind of get used to. And recently, you know, in my band, you mentioned my band, and I have a number of fellas who are from New Orleans, and they went to St. Aug, or they might have gone to Kennedy, you know, and mm. their experiences were so different. Like, their, their kind of their social relationship with other people is just very different. And I think that's really important to my band, having these guys and the way that they approach things. So... You know, I mean, Franklin, yeah. So Franklin itself, you're right, it's kind of was a, a geeky kind of school. I mean, it wasn't, it was just, <laughs> you know, that's like, oh my goodness. And I, you know, the really, re the reason I went, uh, one, it was down the street from our house. We lived within a mile of the school and I was notorious right. for, for waking up late. So I'd say, man, I just roll out of bed at, you know, eight, uh, eight oh five or eight ten, and I'd be to the school by eight thirty. Or they're close, close to eight thirty, uh, but my mother wouldn't let me go to McDonald thirty five. She said it was too far. That's kind of where I wanted to go, and uh, so that's how I ended up at Franklin. But anyway, I, you know, it was cool. There, there were some good things about Franklin. And then I went half a day. The other half day, I went to Noka, you know, which is another geeky school. You know, it's another like a music <laughs> school. So yeah, but so you went to Ben Franklin. You had only one or two friends because because of what it was. And Renee only had one or two friends because he only, his whole life, he's only had one or two friends. <laughs> that's, well, that's, you know, that's all I can handle, man. That's all, that's he, all I can handle, Manny. He, he just has, you know, you, you could easily have been like goth, man. You know, like one of those goth, he just, you could just kind what of roll into that. <laughs> you know, like, like the goth and the people, they wear the all black and they got the, you just have that kind of that disposition, man, in a good way. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Trench coat mafia. Yeah. I can see myself in that, in that uh, you know. I can wouldn't see yourself. Well, you know, except for the girls, you know. If I, if I, if I didn't have girlfriends, I, I would have wound up in the trench coat mafia. But thankfully, you know, I was playing music. <laughs> I uh, had, had access to uh, female companionship. So, you know, I had a lot to live for. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's always a good thing. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, so Delphio, after after uh, after high school, you graduate from Ben Franklin and Noka, and uh, you go to Berkeley College of Music. Yeah, from so bad to worse. What, <laughs> what? Yeah, I was going to say, how was your experience there, and how long did you stay uh, there? Did you? What went on? No, I love school, man. I love Berkeley. I stayed there. Two was that years. the one in Boston? It is Berkeley yeah. College of Music, and. Uh, uh, Lawrence Burke was the founder and he named it for his son, Lee, Lee Burke. And he turned it around to Burke Lee. Um, but it was a really a great experience. Again, not very social and on a number of levels, but you know, Boston. Well, yeah. I think Boston's a really racist town. It's so horrible. That city. Did you find I a lot of that. racism there? Man, it's everywhere. It's just, a yeah, question I, of I know, I know. But I mean, the times I've been in Boston, it was like, uh, 
you'd walk into a bar and it was like the scene out of Star Wars where they say, we don't take your kind here, you know, and they're talking about C-3PO. I mean, I've been to Boston <laughs> three times and all three times I've been in fights. Wow. I just, I just find it a horrible, horrible city. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, but again, it's a lot of cities are tough. Yeah, I know. There's a, it's rough in every city, but for some reason, Boston is, is just, uh, it's just, it's awful to me. I'll never go there again. Yeah, they got a, a strange disposition. You know, Boston and a lot of times Chicago. I mean, it just depends on what, where you're at and what's the, what the situation is. Uh, I never found that, um, you know, Boston, I, when I was there, but, there again, I didn't have a lot of interactions with a whole lot of different people. You know, it's mostly the, the students, and we would walk down to uh, the club or the bar, really, Wally's yeah. famous cafe, right. was, famous bar that we would Yeah, go mus to. you were in a, a musicians, uh, you know, you were in that milieu, so you weren't uh, hanging out in, in Southie or anything. Yeah, so I thought it was cool. So so at Berkeley, you studied you studied. Uh, uh, music production as well as as performance, correct? Yeah, well, I, I played. Yeah, I, I, you know, through high school, I studied a lot of classical music, and I was really thinking that I would maybe pursue a classical career, maybe get an orchestra gig. And then the, the month, couple of weeks before school started, uh, I had been in the McDonald's All American Band, and I went to visit a guy. My mother said, "Don't go by this boy's house. He's a white guy." She said, "Don't go there and see with his family. You don't know him." My mother was from the old school. I'm like, oh, mom, it's going to be cool. And you know, everything ended up being cool. And uh, the, the the Saturday night, I remember they the, one, the mother asked me, what, what would you like to eat? And I said, you know, whatever you generally cook, I'm happy, you know. And boy, the fried chicken came out. <laughs> so, and, and which was cool. I was I was playing it off like I didn't realize. I mean, it was a good call, I guess. Then the daughter, man, she was like eight. And of course, the daughter was like, oh, mom, this is delicious. We should have this more often. Of course, at that point, <laughs> the parents are turning pink or, or red or whatever. <laughs> but uh, anyway, oh, it was cool. But no, but it was actually cool. It, you know, it's just one of those things. They were like, you know, they didn't know. But anyway, the point of it being this guy, Richard Holiday, he was a trumpet player. And he was like, man, you don't want to go to, to Boston University and study that classical crap. You need to come to Berkeley and play jazz. And I was like, damn, yeah, that's not a bad idea. So <laughs> it's the truth. Two weeks before school started, I, I called Branford because I knew he had gone to Berkeley. And, you know, Branford was the, the oldest or he is the oldest still, but he was the kind that right. he didn't want to be bothered with the younger brother. So I never really had much rapport with Branford until this moment. I called him up. And said, hey, man, uh, I'm thinking about going to Berkeley. He was like, oh, yeah, I know all my boys because he had just been there four four years prior, I think. So he called his boys oh. and he set it up. And that's how I ended up at Berkeley. And I studied production, yeah. How much older? How much older is Branford than you? So Branford's five years older than me. Branford's five, Wenton's four. I have a brother named Ellis, who is not quite a year older. And then a younger brother, Mboya, who's five years younger. And Jason is uh, 12 years younger than me. Wow, yeah, Jason's. Wow, no was, your mother, was your mother uh, in, in music? Did she play? No, my mother sang like with the college band, but it wasn't anything on any kind of serious level. But she appreciated the music. And when she met my father, as it goes at a club, I think, you know, that's she really liked the, the way that he played. And uh, they just hooked up and that, that was that. And that was the, but uh, I did hear your father say that 
in, in talking about your family, you know, you have all, all these children are such phenomenal musicians. And he said, well, really, the talent comes from my wife's family. Oh, for sure. My dad's uh, father, uh, Ellis Marcellus Sr., was the proprietor of the Marcellus Mansion. And that was what they call the colored motel. That's where all the black folks had to go before uh, integration. And unfortunately for him, with integration went a lot of the black businesses and his was one of them that was a, a uh, was a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a catastrophe. It fell victim to, to integration, but like, yeah, Martin Luther King stayed there and any dignitaries that would come to town, they would stay at the Marcellus mansion. Was that in Kenner? That was in Shrewsbury. So that's like right between New Orleans and, and Kenner. If you go to Shrewsbury road and river road, there's a, a plaque, that they put up that commemorates what it was. You know, it was, it was an important establishment. In fact, Leah Chase, Chef Leah Chase, uh, she told me that uh, that was the establishment that she looked to because it was the first uh, Black-owned business that had uh, white linen on the tables. She said most of the, uh-huh. of the restaurants, they didn't be bothered with linen. But to her, when she went in there, she said that was a big deal and that inspired her, to, you know, the kind of quality that she wanted to present in her restaurant. Anyway, right. my mother, her uncle was, great uncle was a fellow by the name of Wellman Bro. And Wellman Bro was Duke Ellington's first bassist. And she also oh. had a clarinetist, guy by the name of Alphonse Piku. I don't know if you remember the old Piku donuts. They were on- uh, Yes. Right off, you remember Piku, right? They were off of, but that yes. was the, the Piku family. What was that road it was off of, right by Esplanade and Broad? It's. Uh, Bayou Road. It was on Bayou Road. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right by the church over there. Uh, but so that's on my mother's side a lot of time. But in my on my dad's side, absolutely no musicians at all. No musicians. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's crazy. So it your did. dad came out of nowhere. What? Because you know your father's like on the Mount Rushmore of New Orleans musicians. Obviously, you know he's a, a giant. It's you know educated so many besides being a tremendous player and, and, you know, educated so many other musicians, you know, and in fact, I was watching this, this, uh, this, uh, notorious B.I.G. uh, documentary that just came out, um, you know, Biggie Smalls. I'm, I've all been a big fan of his for many years. So I've saw this, this new documentary, which is great. And it has a lot of Donald Harrison in it because Donald Harrison, and I remembered this from seeing it briefly mentioned in a previous documentary, but Donald lived right down the street from Chris Wallace, you know, notorious B.I.G. when he was a kid. And Donald kind of mentored uh, Biggie and turned uh-huh. him on to a lot of stuff, had him listening to Max Roach and just, you know, ways of phrasing stuff that was that was, you know, unique. And really, it it, it had a lot to do with with, you know, Biggie's development and his identity as an artist. And I'm thinking, well, so really it goes from Ellis Marcellus to Donald Harrison to Biggie Smalls. I mean, that kind of, <laughs> that kind of cascading mentorship, you know? Right. Well, the, the, the great thing about NOCA, and I would say not only my dad, but uh, the classical instructor, Dr. Bert Bro, and the vocal yes. instructor, Lorraine Alfaro, is they would tell it like it is. And they taught us. In fact, it's a kind of a strategy that I still use working with kids. Is they taught us on a much higher level than was expected for our grade. So, you know, we were learning. I went in as a freshman. So by junior year, I'm analyzing Wagner, which is, 
you know, sophomore in college or maybe even junior in college level. So that was the approach. And I see my dad approached things the same way. Uh, he was a, a musician's musician. And so he'd throw you in the fire and test you out. <laughs> and he, he wasn't about telling you how great you sounded. That wasn't really that important to you. In fact, he probably never told anybody that he sounded great. That just sure. wasn't his way. You know, he just said, okay. And if you figure something out, then it's okay. Now you got to work on this. But it, and it, it's a great thing because it, it teaches you a certain kind of humility where you're not always looking for people to praise you. And, you know, today that's one thing with the youngsters. Like you have to preface everything with, well, you sounded really good. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, man, look, it's, I'm old school. I tell them up front, I'm from the old school. So you're fishing for compliments, you know, you got to find another pond or another lake because it ain't going to happen around here. That's just what it is. <laughs> but I think that, and I don't know what, what uh, Donald Harrison's relationship is or was with with uh, B.I.G. But, uh, you know, yeah, it was one of those things that at that point, being a jazz musician was cool. He sees this guy and he's dressed up in a suit and he got his horn and he got a certain kind of an attitude and he got swag. And B.I.G. is like, damn, man, what's going on? You know, it's and the greater part is because Duck was in the, the same neighborhood. That's another thing that's a challenge is when you're in the neighborhood with somebody and you see them, you have a different relationship with, them, you know, so he, he, he could see Duck and say, man, what's going on? You know, so uh, right. that's great. That's a great thing. That's great. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, so so, uh, you know, you studied production there in college, but you'd really been uh, into that well into high school. You were collecting microphones already. You were doing recordings in your home and 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 uh, trying to to match certain recordings uh the classical recordings with 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 Wenton in your home to so and and you know you've had such a tremendous pr producing career man it's like you've um, it seems like almost every record by your father or your any of your brothers uh you're the producer on that huh? a tremendous amount of records and they all sound wonderful man it's and i, I know you, they all have a uh, a, a certain you know warmth and, and what kind of producers were you looking to when you were developing your aesthetic uh you know like rudy rudy van gelder or is like uh, anybody in particular well I, i'd have to say first i was very fortunate and uh, uh i was in the right place at the right time and when i was young i was fifth or sixth grade they needed somebody to press the red button and keep up mm -hmm. with it and make sure that the thing didn't, that the uh, recording wasn't overloaded and these various things. So, you know, from that, and yeah, Wenton was very inspirational. He put on a Maurice Andre record and Maurice Andre, of course, was the great classical virtuoso before Wenton himself. Man, why don't we, we're making tapes in the, in the living room. And he's like, why doesn't mm -hmm. my recording sound like this? And it, I was too young to really understand that, there's technology and there's, you know, high-end equipment. I'm like, I literally would stay up at night saying, man, why can't I get this to sound like this? I didn't know about recording in churches or recording studios. So I would just experiment in different parts of the house. I'd go in, you know, like we were in the living room and had carpet. It wasn't very lively. So it, it sounded good, but it did, wasn't very uh, reverberant. And then going to the bathroom, and that was the most reverberant place in the in the house, except it was all ceramic tiles. So, you know, it, it was too small and it echoed too much. And, uh, well, my bathroom always echoes too much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's where you know, not to record certain things up in there. 
And then we get to the kitchen. Of course, that had the best sound. But my mom be like, boy, get out of here with that recording. Leave me alone because she'd be cooking or doing whatever she did. So uh, all of that said, uh, I always wanted to uh, to capture the sound. I would lay under the piano and my dad would play. And my dad had a real, it was a certain sound that he had on the piano. And it was, as you mentioned, warm. It had a warmth to it. And it was very comforting. And I always wanted to to produce recordings where the entire recording had that feeling. Uh, so I would say that's what, what I strove, strived. I strove to accomplish. <laughs> strove for strive. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I strove like for that. That, that kind of, uh, yeah. Nice, nice. And and really, in, in a sense, you, you sort of set a template for a lot of the way jazz records started getting made, you know, after that. I mean, there, you know, the idea of, you know, miking the, the acoustic bass, not having a, a direct output from, you know, from a pickup for the bass and, you know, having these, these live room mics and a lot of bleed and stuff. I mean, it kind of, it's kind of a, throwback to you know the the mid-century approach as as you're talking about right well you know when you know his first recording was in 1981 i believe and he didn't like the sound of it they recorded half of it in japan and he called me up and by this point i was a, a sophomore in high school and he says man my record doesn't sound right what how can i get a better sound so that's when i went on the the, the task of how do we work this out? Anyway, I found a book. It's called The 100 Great Jazz Recordings. In this book, there's a picture of Miles Davis at the Kind of Blue Session. And that's one of the records we like the most. And mm -hmm. the photo was by a guy named Don mm -hmm. Hunstein. So this was back in the days when you could actually call up. I called up CBS and I'm like, I'm trying to find Don Hunstein. Short answer there, what happened is they put me in touch with the library and I was able to, to go up there. Now it helped that Wenton was uh, and in fact, Branford also, they were Columbia artists. And I went there and I got mm -hmm. about uh, 50 pictures, 50 photos of like Monk and Dave Brubeck and Billy Holiday. And I noticed that there were mics on the bass and that they had a certain type of room. So I told went, look, this is the solution. You need a big room. That's the right. problem. And Branford found RCA Studio A. And that's when, so Wenton did, uh, Wenton Marcellus. And then we went on the search and then he did think of one, which is at a slightly bigger studio. Well, by the third record, Branford had found RCA and Branford's record was recorded there. And then uh, went and did Hot House Flowers with Strings. And that's when everybody started to move from the small rock and roll studios to the larger rooms. And I'd say the, the record that really kind of made the biggest difference was uh, one that Branford did called Trio GP because it's one thing to talk about bass direct and putting a microphone, but when you hear Milt Hinton and that sound that he, that's when the bass players started to pay attention. So if you listen at the, the majority of recordings pre-1987, was it 87, 88, pre-1988 and post-1988, you can hear that there's a definite difference in the sound because there was a consciousness of, in the jazz community anyway. And that right. sound that we were used to with the, the thin rubbery bass direct, you almost never heard that again after that. So anyway, there we go. I'm rambling on. What's happening? What's going on with Chevrolet? What you got going on? Uh, no, I, let me ask you something, man. You related to the Chevrolets, man? 
No, 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 none of that. So no other Chevrolet, just you. Okay, that's killing. I, I, I won the name in a poker game. Oh, that's killing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but listen, let me ask you a question. You've lived here all your life, right? Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I run for mayor every four mm-hmm. years since 2000. Okay. And there's always this one issue. Uh, the crime that's going on in this city, and especially by the youth in this uh-huh. city, the young kids are are doing horrible crimes: murder, rape, cr- uh, cr- uh, you know, stealing cars, yeah. you know, B and Os and all that kind of stuff, B and Es, all that kind of stuff. And do you think? I mean, I don't know if you're a parent or not. I am. Right. One daughter. All right. And I work with a lot of kids, but go ahead. I'm listening. Yeah, this is an issue that's going to come up the next election, which is going to be about six months six months from now. Mm-hmm. Should we hold, should we charge the parents of these kids who are doing crimes? Because that's a big issue. I mean, well, a 16, I, I, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid who is raping or murdering someone and only doing six months because they're underage. Do you no, think I, that we should hold the parents accountable? No. No? No, yeah, indeed. I don't think you can do I, that. I, I, don't think you, I wouldn't do that. But, you know, look, man, the, the, the issue is so larger than that. It'd be, it's almost like if I knew you – or let's say – I'll. I was a parent, but I don't like to use this analogy because on the one hand, it's like I'm, I'm putting the blame on the parents. But in this country, we're going to look at the country like it's a parent. And the country has been feeding us candy like for 20 straight years, even though it's been longer than 20 for the purposes of what we're talking about. And then at 20 years of age, they're going to say, man, what, what's wrong with all your teeth? So now the thing is, <laughs> we need to, what, what are we going to do about you and these teeth? And it's like, so what I'm saying is, man, this country is set up in the, the platform. It's like they always say the foundation of the house has to be stable. Man, the foundation of this country is so jacked up and it's so jive. And it just all of what we're seeing, like you looking at the Capitol riots and this foolishness with our last president, et cetera, et cetera, and, and the kind of, of, of impassioned hatred that a lot of people feel towards people that they don't yes. know. All of this is really what the issue is. Now, we can talk about these young kids. I mean, it's all unfortunate, the fact that they can get access to guns. And they don't know anything. And a lot of the violence that they're facing just all of the time, these kids are inundated with violence and, pardon my expression, bullshit, nonstop, nonstop. And I work with these young kids. And I'm going to tell you what, it's another thing that pained me, and I mentioned about going to these white schools, is that when I started working in the black schools with these black kids, I started viewing them the way that you just described. I didn't understand that these kids, they are children and they want people to love them and they need to be addressed a certain kind of way. And it's, So you think they're, they're not loved at home? I think they're not loved in general. I don't know exactly what goes on at home, but what I'm saying, look, man, W.E.B. Du Bois, and now Du Bois was a mulatto boy from Great Barrington, Massachusetts. So he was not the guy that was thinking, and we're talking about late 1800s, early 1900s. He was of the opinion that Negroes need to educate themselves. They don't need to be worrying about the fields and this or that. But 
Du Bois himself starts off his book. It's a great book called The Souls of Black Folk. And then he, he frames it really beautifully, but he says there is an unanswered question. How does it feel to be a problem? And this is the question that black folk have faced since we landed here on the soil. How can we address the fact that we are clearly a problem in American society? Even to the degree- well, You didn't land on the soil, the soil landed on you. There you go, 100%. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can look at it from that, that perspective, but you know, I'm, I'm just saying, man, it, you look at what's going on and the whole way that society is turning right now is just really, really the, the, the election of Donald Trump is far more problematic than people realize. It has nothing to do with whether I like somebody or dislike them. It's the, the, the fact of the, look at the, look at all of the homeless people. Like we have so many issues going on and it's like, we're doing the best to go about our business and pretend, Hey man, everything is cool. So this thing with the children in the crime is part of such a, a greater uh, problem that we have in this country. And from the way that I see it, and it, it just really seems like it's getting, it's getting worse. I guess I'd say the covers are being pulled off even more, more robustly. But don't uh, you think if a law passed, I don't think it's going to pass, that says we're going to hold the parents accountable, no. don't you think the parents would be more accountable to their kids? No, man. No. You, you, have, so? you, you have kids? Yeah, I have a kid. Yeah. So you, how old your kid? She's 16. And you're able to control what she does? Man, good yeah. on you. Yeah, well, I do control right. what Oh, she man. Does. No, no. You, you know, good like, on you. Uh, no, what, man, do you. What do you mean, Renee? What do you mean I don't control my kid? Well, I'm saying, you know, if she, would, if she were to go do something, you wouldn't have any way to stop her from doing that. You know, she's coming home from school. How, would, how could that be your responsibility to... To, well, I teach her right you know, at home. I teach her right the come on. The right are you are you, are you seriously right saying this, man? Are you this? Is this really the foolishness you believe? You think that all of the issues that people have, and it might not just be rape or like you're mentioning the violent things, which there's all kinds of things that that go. What about the boy that went out with the damn uh, sawed-off shotgun or whatever, the the, the semi-automatic weapon, and uh, they let him get away with what was his bail was a million dollars. He went to the rally with the gun and some folks tried to stop him. And he, he I think he killed two people. And right. So what did they do? Yeah, they yeah. said his bail, they said his bail like a million dollars. Why? So that some people could bail him out. Whereas you have other people, right. they do they have crimes and they'll get what? Twenty million dollars uh, bail. So, I mean, look, man, this this whole thing is holding the parents accountable. What can the parents do? Yeah, this yeah, story yeah. after story after story of the parents. I you bring your kid up right. That's what you do. That's, come on, man. You, that's, you're naive, man. That's that's foolishness. All right. Well, I don't need to listen to this shit. Okay. Oh, wait. Man, you don't holy moly. Yeah. Holy cow. I, I was, right. uh, uh, I couldn't hear right you guys move. for a minute there, so I was kind of missing out on something, but uh, holy cow. That, uh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> seems like a good place to take a break right here, Delphio. Good, good <laughs> um, ready. Because, uh, yeah. Because I, I need another drink myself. So, uh, uh, and when oh. we come back, we'll get into uh, all of your touring uh, with Art Blakey and, and Ray Charles and hear some exciting tour stories. So, That's cool. Uh, I'm going to line up a drink. And we'll talk about the Bellow Bar. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, Nation, uh, go get yourself another cocktail and we'll be right back. Thank you. 
And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Delphio Marcellus. Now, Delphio, I know you're not a, a listener of the Troubleman podcast, but we've been associated with a terrific product the past uh, few months. So, uh, Manny, why don't you go ahead and tell Delphio about this terrific product? All right, man. Listen, are you into CBD oil? Yes, indeed. You are? Hell to the yeah. All right. Well, I got to <laughs> tell you something, man. This is a great product. It's called the Velo Bar. You ever hear of it? The Velo Bar, V-E-L-O Bar. This is no, a great. This is we've been associated with this product for the last nine months or something, and it's basically a um, CBD bar. It's a protein-based bar, which got superfood ingredients like uh, uh, chia seeds, hemp hearts, and all that kind of stuff. It's a stress relief bar, man. It relieves okay. stress. And it's a great bar after a great workout or if you're doing yard, like yard work and all that kind of stuff. And right now, if you go to their website, which is velobarcbd.com, and you order some bars, and there's two great flavors. There's a dark chocolate and a peanut butter flavor. I'm telling you, you're going to love this stuff, man. It's great stuff. And if you go to their website and order now and use the Troubled, Troubled Man 15 promo code, you'll get 15% off your order and free shipping. Free shipping, man. And that's what we want these days is free shipping. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great yeah. product. It's a stress relief bar. I'm eating one right now. I'm eating one right now as we speak. I'm eating the dark chocolate okay. bar. It's fantastic. And in fact, uh, the CEO of the company, who's been a former guest, uh, just informed me that there's uh, something on the horizon that's going to blow everyone's mind. I mean, it's going to blow your mind. But right now, Renee and Mr. Marcellus, yes. if you go to velobarcbd.com, place an order. Just check out the reviews. They're getting great reviews from all over the world. People dig this bar, and I dig it. So go right now, nation. Check it out, velobarcbd.com. Use the Troubled Men promo code. Get 15% off your order, free shipping, and I guarantee you, you'll be hooked for life. It's going to be great. V-E-L-L-O? V, V as in victory, E-L-O, bar. Oh, one L. Okay. Yeah, 1L. Yes, 1L. And, and, and Mr. Marcellus, I'm telling you, man, you're going to dig this stuff. Okay. And, and we have some Velo bars, uh, Velo bars that will be on their way to you, uh, uh, Delphio, uh, for being our guest and putting up with all this. Uh, we have a, a special uh, <laughs> care package from the Velo bar company. So uh, that will be, that stress relief will be on, your, on the way to you. So fear not. Exactly. Exactly. Since you're not being paid to be on this show, you're going to get a little goodie bag of Velo bars. I guarantee you, you're going to love them. My suggestion is next time, whoever your guest is, send them the, the gift bag before they get on the show. Okay. <laughs> some, 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 I, I, I see where you're going with that, Delphia. I think that's, that's probably a solid, a solid uh, approach. Uh, we will take that yeah. under advisement. <laughs> <Just do> that. <laughs> 
I, <laughs> yes, I think that's that's good. I might eat one myself. Um, <laughs> well, well, very good. So, uh, and and Trouble Nation, as always, uh, if you want to support the podcast directly, you can uh, jump on the the PayPal link in the show notes or the Facebook page, and uh, you know help us uh, uh, defray our operating costs. And I want to give a shout out to Sarah Humphreys uh, who who supported the podcast this week. Uh, the Troubled Nation salutes you. So uh, moving on back to our guest, Mr. Delphio Marcellus. So, uh, so Delphio, so, so you get out of school, um, you, you go on the road for a while. You're with Art Blakey. Uh, and, and uh, how long are you out there playing on the road for? And what, what's your experience out there as a, as a road musician? Does that appeal to you? Yeah. You know, I, I was lucky, man. I got a gig when I was 19 uh, going out with Ray Charles and that was again okay. just the right place at the right time. And uh, I got went to Europe. Man, it was the, that was the most incredible experience. I'm like, I wake up and I'm in Paris, France. I'm like, man, you gotta be kidding me! Uh, but all while I was still at Berkeley, I played with uh, with Ray Charles and also with Art Blakey, and spent some time with the South Af- South African pianist named Abdullah Ibrahim. And mm-hmm, uh, yes. Uh, by the time I got to, but I, I later on would play with, of course, Max Roach and Elvin Jones and, and these guys. But I, I would say that was uh, looking back. If I if I could have done more of that, that should have been more of what I, you know. I spent a lot of time in the studios, but yeah, the road life, especially back then, man, it was really hip. It was, you know, after nine eleven, everything changed, and it, traveling became much more of a task and a tour uh, chore. Right. Well, Art Blakey was known for having being such a a, a, a hothouse for you know young musicians. It's you know so so to to be part of that tradition is amazing, man. Yeah, I mean that was those guys were real men, man. That was that was like they were manly men. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it's just it's like a different thing that we're going toward today. It's like the the whole masculinity thing is kind of. Of, of different now you know you have to be a person that just has a certain level of i guess braggadocia and you gotta lie and make yourself out to be something that you're not blakey and and elvin jones these guys they were again they were like real men they took responsibility for who they were and what they did and uh they looked after a lot of the younger musicians and provided great example uh on the bandstand primarily I don't know about off, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we can't be saints, you know, it, it's not for everybody, sure. but yeah, that was a, a great breeding ground. And the, really it was up to the younger musicians. It's a lot like, like a teacher, you know, a teacher in the, in the school, the students kind of do everything together. The students work together. It's the peer. Hopefully you have good peer pressure and that works. And the student, the teacher just guides the students. And that's how the great musicians are as band leaders when they have the younger musicians. They let the younger musicians figure things out, but they provide the proper directions. Anyway, it was a good time. Good time. Nice, nice, nice. French bread. I would walk down the street with a loaf of French bread. That's what I miss the most about Paris. I mean, you just get a loaf of bread and walk down the street with it, you know. Just just to be that young, away from home, on your own, among, uh, you know, grown men who'd been doing it a long time. Yes, it's, uh, you know, you think, oh, okay, well, I have some some air under my wings here. Yeah, it's, uh, it feels good, There's some freedom. What I learned later on is 
So, you know, Elvin Jones, I knew about him and I had some some John Coltrane records and he was on these records. And I ended up playing with him. But then I realized at a certain point, men, these older men, they're relying on me. Like, you know, it's a strange thing. It's like you've been looking at this guy on records and all of a sudden it's like he needs you a certain kind of, you know, certain assistance. Uh, right. And that's kind of what the cycle used to be. It's kind of not there anymore. But uh, if we have younger musicians, we, we try our best to, to show that type of support and love that the older musicians show toward us. Well, now you have the, the Uptown Jazz Orchestra, which is a fantastic group. And I know you, you have a, a few younger guys uh, that you're bringing along, like uh, this, this kid, Roger Lewis. He's a very <laughs> promising promising young man on the baritone saxophone. <laughs> no, we had Roger Lewis as a guest uh, maybe uh, six weeks ago. And, you know, what, what a giant, man. It's, it must be such a pleasure to, to, to have that guy uh, in the group. And, yeah, if he and, keeps working... Keep really working hard and keeps practicing. Maybe in another ten or fifteen years, he might he might do something, man. Yeah, you, you know? think he might have a future in the music business? <laughs> he might do it. What is that? The kid told that said that somebody said that about uh, who's the, the the guy? A Ringo stuff? Was it Ringo? No, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney did a song with a younger artist, and somebody commented. Yeah, this this Paul McCartney guy's not that bad. He might have a future in the in the music business. That was <laughs> Michael Jackson. It wasn't no Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it was Michael Jackson who said that about McCartney. No, no, man. I'm talking about within the. I mean, like within the past ten years. Oh. oh. Yeah, that was like a kid on Twitter said that. Some, you know. So I was, I was. Listening to the the, the latest uh, uh, Uptown Jazz Orchestra uh, record, which just came out uh, the beginning of about a year ago, Jazz Party. Um, fantastic record, sounds wonderful. I was listening to your trombone sound, and as soon as it came on, I was like, well, that's what a trombone is supposed to sound like. You know, you have the the beautiful sound, you know, the, the singing quality, the, the lyrical quality to the trombone. And you're not a big trombone fan, are you, Renee? No, that's you've never, you always never. want to say that, Manny. I, no, I, I like the trombone. No, you've I, brought I that up. Been. You've always brought that up before, like earlier on, like a year ago. You said you're not a big fan of the trombone. I like the trombone. Manny is putting words <laughs> in my mouth. I'm telling you, no. I have commented on how it's unusual to have, uh, especially these days to have, um, bands led by trombone players yet in new Orleans, we have many. So that, that's right. one of right. the unique things about new Orleans and our culture is that, yes, we still have a, a thing where, you know, a, a lot of big stars are trombone players. I mean, you go other cities, that's, that's not the case. Yeah. You know, the trombone players know what to do. We, we know what's happening with it, you know? And, the trombone players, for the most part, the, the ego is in check. You know, you don't have kind of that trumpet thing, which is right. just another whole thing to deal with. Um, but I, I'd say my sound has certainly evolved. And at the, the root of it is the classical training that I had early on. But now I'm actually influenced by some of the guys you're talking about, the guys that play in the street and they play with that that power. Uh, but I, I also like to play soft so for me it's a question of having the range of and also Louis Armstrong never had a very brassy sound you know Louis was able to have a 
a rounded tone, even though he, he mm-hmm. played in the street also. So that's the aim for me is to play with a certain kind of power, but have the finesse. Uh, and that's the sound is what I always has attracted me to the trombone. It's what I always love is trying to create a beautiful sound. So. Right, right. And the trombone is interesting because it does present certain technical um obstacles i mean it's you know it's not like the piano you just play a million notes on it. it's it, it it has a certain architecture that you have to accommodate and so it almost forces a, a certain inventiveness of uh of, of approach yeah well I'm, I'm trying to embrace the slide more now you know i grew up with the not only the classical thing but uh jj johnson and a lot of the modern trombone players slide hampton curtis fuller and their approach was to to almost bypass the slide, by which I mean, when you hear them play, they never want you to know that they're playing the slide trombone. You want it to be mm-hmm. more like a saxophone, like what you just described, or like a piano player. Whereas guys like Kid Ori, man, that that's the stuff that, and you know, it's like, as Bradford would say, well, why play trombone? Like, if, why play an instrument if you don't want to sound like the instrument? A lot of mm-hmm. kids today, they'll play the tenor saxophone and they'll play it like a flute. They'll be in the altissimo register all of the time. So, women play an alto, play a soprano sax. Don't, right. if you're going to play a tenor, play the tenor. You know, it's like if, you, if you're, it'd be like Kevin Pavarotti have to sing in falsetto all the time. Right. Well, okay, I guess you could do that, but, you know, why do that? <laughs> right. So, yeah, trombone, I love trombone. It's a beautiful sound. And, you know, these guys out here, the brass band guys, and, and they work, man. They practice and they, they have it together. And uh, a lot of these guys don't read, man. And that's a beautiful thing to be able to play, you know, hours and hours of music that you've practiced and developed and you're creating the arrangement on the spot. You mean and, they can't read at all? Well, like they don't read music a lot. Oh, okay. I, I should say they, they can't read. They don't. Well, I don't know. I'd never have put literature in front of them like that. Uh, <laughs> But I'm like, hey, some people, it, it's been rumored, you know, certain people, you know, reading is, is relative to me. That, that's kind of a relative thing. Um, and, I'd much uh, rather watch the movie than read the book. Yeah, there you go. That's there what I'm saying. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. You know, and you don't have to put on the, uh, what is it called? Closed caption. So you can just sit there and enjoy what it is. Exactly. And, you know, the movie always captures the meaning, the essence more than the book anyway. Exactly. I mean, this guy's sitting there writing a book. What does he know? What is he talking about? We want to see the movie. Exactly. A lot of books I haven't enjoyed because they never made a movie. I'm like, come on, man. Y'all are slipping. <laughs> <laughs> well, Delphio, so you, you had this record that came out last year, but then, then uh, you know, the whole pandemic hit. So, uh, of course, you, like everyone else, had to cancel all these dates. Now, on the horizon, we have uh, another trip to Hawaii for the, the Big Island Jazz Festival, which is, uh, you know, tentatively scheduled for June, and the iguanas are on the bill, and you are on the bill. So, uh, you know, I guess we may be there together. This may be over at that point, or at least, uh, you know, we, we, we'll be dealing with it. Uh, what, how do you feel about that? I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced yet. But, you know, Hawaii, you know, it's Hawaii, man, you know? Right. You got to go check it out and chill. Um, right. Well, it's easy to say yes and, and now. And if it turns out it's not feasible, then we can always, you know, cancel later on. But, uh, you know, uh, hope springs eternal, as they say. 
Yeah, and you know, hopefully, folks will take the vaccine seriously, and uh, you know, we'll we'll try to get get a, a stronghold on this thing. You know, so it's it's good to have a, a at least a, a individual who takes some responsibility in the White House now as the yes. commander in chief, and not yes. dispute the most ignorance possible for financial gain. And you know, it's good to see people trying to find solutions to the problems. I would say. Well, our 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 new our new leader, he just uh, had a State of the Union address or whatever, a press conference uh, about an hour ago, and and I've been saying this uh, since he got elected is uh, uh, he's going to die really soon. He's going to die in the next few months, and we're going to have a female president. And, okay. Uh, okay. I think that's all. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that because uh, Biden didn't look so good. He doesn't yeah, look so good. I, I sure it does. I hope it doesn't happen because there's a lot of white folks in this country that wouldn't be able to stand that. Well, that's the yeah. thing, <laughs> man. I you, I know. I'm hoping that they do like who was it that they? Oh, what's the movie? L. Sid. You did you ever see L. Sid with Charlton Heston? Yeah, L, of course. Yeah, yeah. I you saw know, L. Sid. Sure. Yeah. L said. So he's on the horse and they pretending like he didn't die. They just he put him on. Right. It's, Bernie's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. Put, him, put him on the horse. So let's just hope. It's, it, it's if, like if, that movie El Salvador uh, with uh, James Wood. Let's say he, he took a, a picture of a, a dead rebel, you know, be, only because uh, they would print it and then uh, the, 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 the people would gather around saying he's not dead yet, even though he's already dead. But no, I think Biden's not long for this, and so I think Camilla's going to be our president, and that's going to be uh, something to see. I hope not. Well, I hope not. Well, I don't know. I, I hope not for America's sake. You well, thought they acted a fool when Obama was in office. Man, you... <laughs> what's that? I, you know, I said, you think that the folks was acting a fool when Obama was in office. Yeah, yeah you, you think that'll drive them crazy? A, a, a black woman will, will be more than they can stand? Oh, yeah, for sure. Man, this thing is serious. You know, we see it being on the other side of it. I'm just telling you, man, we see it a different way, man. We see how dangerous this stuff actually is. I mean, this whole thing is you got to really look at what happened with them Capitol riots. You got to really think about what actually went on. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's terrifying. You know, since American Inception, we've been making excuses for, for white men's actions crazy you know people right. oh we had slaves oh well you know it, it's okay it's cool you know it's like we we the confederacy and all of that foolishness we we made excuses for so long it's like i'm i'm sweaty well i really hope that your prediction doesn't come true in this respect for the sake of the nation because black folk are not at the it's like when obama was running we were all like yeah man it's time for a change man black folk are like please biden hold on hold on yeah, yeah but he's not going to be able to run again in four years, even if he's he's going to be like 90 in four years. Well, whatever happens in four years, as long as he don't die within the next two, couple of years. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Well, yes, we're all wishing the best for the president, the current president, wishing <laughs> him the, the best of health. Yes. Uh, for 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 every reason. Yeah. Adelfio, so uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're getting near the, the downslope of the podcast here. It's so. uh you know, future of jazz. I know it's always a question people are, are are asking. You know, I know there's. You know, Nicholas Payton has had the 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 Black American music movement, and you know, jazz is dead. And uh, you know, who who who? I don't. Know, do you have any feelings about about that in general? 
Yeah, it's tough. It's tough primarily yeah. because it's such a great divide right now between jazz and the black community. And that's where you mm -hmm. find your major innovations historically over the past 120 years have come from. So it's just one of those things, man. You know, and the, the great thing about jazz is that it, it, it kind of tells you about a lot about America. It's like there's the part of America that we want to pretend doesn't exist. And then there's the part of America that we embrace that we personally like and enjoy. And the great music covers all of those areas. So it could be like Charles Mingus telling us something that we don't want to really recognize, which would be Mingus's music would be the backdrop for something like these Capitol riots. And then there's the idea that the democratic process actually works. So that might be like Count Basie's music, something that's just swinging and it's in the pocket and it makes you feel good from the front to the back. Uh, and it's just, it's a challenge now for a number of reasons. And uh, society is not, is not the better for it, but I, I don't, I don't know. It's in a tough spot is what I would say, you know, and, and uh, I don't know how we're going to turn around from this one. You know, when Winton came along in the 80s, it, it's not at all like what's happening now. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It's tough. But we're going to keep playing. You know, we're going to keep doing week. Yes. You know? Well, so we had a guest on uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was he's about our age and he's had a great career. And, you know, he's looking at what's happened to the music business over the past year. And he's saying, uh, you know, I might be ready to retire. And I'm thinking, what, what do you mean? How, do, how does that even work? And he's like, well, because, you know, the business won't be what it was before. And it's like, what does that even matter? You know, it's like we play music because we have to play music. And then we figure out what we can do with it based on what else is going on. You know, the, it's not like we, we thought, oh, this music business seems like an easy ride. Let's get involved in that that you know it's a it's a calling right. so you you do it because you have to and then you try to you know make it work from there yeah i mean my vibe is and my, my music has has changed it's much more new orleans based now than it was even 10 years ago and that's because one i understand it really this is the birthplace of jazz and there's a vitality of the music that the new orleans people had, like the brass bands in the street. They are a direct line from that original source. And mm -hmm. while they're not playing jazz per se, they play more of a funk, a funky music. That's, that's in the, you know, it's, it's important an important element in all the music. So we gonna, I'm trying to keep it funky and, you know, at the same time addressing some of the, like we have one song we did now and, and we're incorporating the bounce groove. Now it's hard to do a whole set of bounce. It's that's boy, that's just because it, it's so much the same. Right. But to me, the, the musicians have to figure out a way how to make it all work. The great jazz musician of the future, if there's such a thing, will know all of the the genres. They'll be able to swing, they'll be able to play the blues, they'll be able to play the funk, they'll be able to play what's on the, the radio, the billboard top ten. It's just it's our responsibility as musicians, you know. I mean, pop artists, a lot of times they don't study music. It's not their responsibility. Right. Their job is to just make hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't you want to make hundreds of millions of dollars? You know, it's just it's, I chose the wrong profession. That's just I do. Yeah. I mean, I would take it. But it's just, you know, man, at a certain point, eh, you know, not really, not hundreds of millions. I'd take a couple million, but hundreds of millions, eh, I wouldn't even want to have to deal with that. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, what would it what would it do for you? All right. Well, uh, we'll do a well, lot. You, so- <laughs> we'll do a lot for <laughs> yeah, you. You know, you know, it's uh, again, man. They bury you with no pockets. So uh, you know, in the end, it's, uh, it, you know, it's. Uh, it, Art Blakey would always say, "What did he always say?" Oh, an armored car never follows a hearse. <laughs> that's right. That's that's very very true. And it paid you a hundred dollars. <laughs> right. Oh well, what you gonna do right. is Art Blakey. Right on. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Delphio. It's 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 uh, been wanting to get you on for a long time, and uh, you know, Delphio. Let me ask you a question before we sign off. Yes, sir. Future Can I mayor. ask you a question? Certainly. Um, this is an age-old question. It's been going around for years. Okay. Uh, would you rather have an anal exam performed by a dentist or a cavity filled by a proctologist? Uh, if given those two options, the wait, what's the an extraction? Would you rather have an anal exam performed by a dentist or a cavity filled by a proctologist? Okay, if those are the only two options, probably the first. <laughs> So far, I've asked 180 people that question, and you're the first one to say yes to that one. Well, that's because I understand how important, you know, my teeth are to playing trombone. So there you go. <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't want no proctologist up in there. Keeping it classy here on the Trouble yeah. Men podcast, Delphio. <laughs> I'm just saying. He has to, you know. <laughs> you want to go there? I can go there with you. <laughs> all right all right manny uh it feels like a show huh yes definitely <laughs> well good hanging with y'all for a minute bro thank you for being on the show man yeah no problem good times good times so as always on the troubled men podcast we like to say trouble never ends but the struggle continues good night <laughs>